Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We've got a friendly bunch today. That's great. Everyone's full and happy from Thanksgiving. (laughs) As you take your seats, we're going to dive into God's word here. Um, yeah, move that up here. Uh, I can't really compete with Terry's light show, so I have to apologize for that. Uh, Terry, thanks for bringing us the announcements and welcoming us in. That was great. Um, my name's Pastor Kerry. I'm the pastor of Connection and Discipleship here at Cypress Church, and uh, I'm so excited to get to dive into God's Word with you again this morning. Uh, last weekend, uh, we were actually at a wedding, uh, my cousin's wedding. And so here's a picture of my wife, and we found a little suit for Ethan, and so that was fun. Um, and because uh, all my family was in town for the wedding, we did Thanksgiving a week early, at that week when they were all ready, ready in town. So we did Thanksgiving, we smoked a turkey, my, our friend Jeff smoked a turkey, and it was so delicious. Oh, it was so good. Uh, I've always wanted to try one of those deep fried turkeys, though. Has anyone ever tried one of those? Man, I got to do that. I got to do that. Like, they, they look so good. I was talking to my friend Jackie. They did a ham for Thanksgiving. Um, man, I could definitely go for that, too. And then that's how I was talking with another friend, William, and he did a pork roast. So I got... Isn't it great you can just find these pictures online? I just love it. <laughs> like, you know, oh, man, that looks so tasty. I... Oh, I lo- I love Thanksgiving. God bless Thanksgiving. <laughs> I should, uh, oh, I can get an amen. Um, I should probably get into the Bible, though. So let's stop looking at pictures of food. <laughs> We're going to dive in. Um, for the past couple weeks, in fact, two months, we've been in this series, Lean In. And you'll see that on the worship folder that you got. And you can pull out your notes there, too. Leaning in. Well, what that's all about is spiritual disciplines. And those are practices, exercises that we can do that help us grow closer to God. And so we went through a bunch of them as these past two months have gone by. We went to worship. We talked about silence and solitude. And then we talked about prayer later on. We talked about how God designed us to grow together in community. And that includes accountability partners, mentors, uh, small groups. We talked about how Sabbath and rest and slowing can help us grow. We talked about reading God's word and meditating and memorizing. And then last Sunday, we talked about when Pastor Justin came over from the branch, he talked about how thanksgiving, being a grateful person, is actually a spiritual discipline too. And how, when we're thankful, it can actually move us into the spiritual discipline of generosity. And so all these ways are ways to grow in Christ. And if you've missed any of these for this series, or if you're like, man, we talked about worship like two months ago. I don't even remember anything from that far ago. Um, I'd encourage you, go out to the lobby. We have a resource center, a table there, and there's a sheet on every single one of these spiritual disciplines. You can just pick up, read a few verses about it, a, a description, and then there's exercises on the back that help you learn how to take baby steps to try it. So I would encourage you, check one of those out. You can find all those online too at cypresschurch.net slash lean in. You can download them all. And I want to mention too, our church library is going to be open after this. And we're going to have this our Spiritual Disciplines sermon series book there. And you can just go check it out for free and borrow it for a week or two. It'll be great. So I'd encourage you, check out all those resources. 
But as we dive back into God's word here for the last installment of our Leaning In series, um, I would just want to remind us of what we've been learning as we've been going through this series. And that's that spiritual disciplines don't automatically make us less sinful. When we practice these uh, exercises, they don't automatically make us holy. God's grace does that. God reaches forward and says, I'm going to help you grow in this way. But like a plant that's placed in the sunlight, that's the place where it can thrive and grow. And so what spiritual disciplines are is that we place ourselves by, by you know, praying or uh, reading God's word or giving or being grateful. These are all ways that we place ourselves into God's light and that he can grow us there. It's a cooperation and it's a relationship. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And so that's what we come to when we talk about all these spiritual disciplines. So just a reminder there, maybe the whole, maybe you've tried some of these. The whole point of the series is like, hey, try them. Grow in the Lord. Give these a shot. Maybe you've never meditated on scripture before. Try it. Here's some resources. So maybe you've tried some of these things, but you've discovered that as you have, sometimes it's kind of hard. <laughs> you, you know, you, you open up God's word and you're like, all right, Pastor Mike just preached about reading and memorizing and meditation. I'm going to open up the Bible and I'm going to read it. And, and as soon as you do, your mind starts to wonder and you start thinking about all the things you have to do today. I got to make sure she gets that and the kids are taken care of with that and blah, blah, blah. Maybe, you know, you've heard Pastor John preach about prayer and then you knelt down. And you're like, all right, I'm going to pray, Lord. And as soon as you close your eyes, that movie or that TV show you watched last night starts to flicker on the back of your eyelids. And you start, your mind drifts off into somewhere else. And then, you know, five minutes later, you're like, oh, wait, what, what was I thinking about? Maybe you're thinking, oh, God, I'm going to stay focused with you today. I'm going to, I'm going to do this day with you. And then work gets busy. Kids get busy. Uh, stuff comes up unexpectedly. And then days later, you're in bed and you think, oh, yeah. Hey, God. <laughs> it's been a while since we talked. <laughs> It's so distracting, the world that we live in, and it's so hard to focus. So it's one thing for us to have this series and say, here's a whole bunch of cool ways you can explore to grow closer to God. It's another thing to just stay focused even to do them. How do we stay focused? How do we concentrate on these things? Well, there's another spiritual discipline that we haven't mentioned yet. And it's all over scripture. It's a handcrafted discipline from God that helps us with our focus. How can Christians in a busy, distracted world focus on our God who's quiet, invisible? Well, the answer is we can fast. Maybe you're wondering, what in the world does that mean? (laughs) Well, we're going to dive into scripture and we're going to talk about what fasting is, how to do it, um, when to do it, all sorts of examples. And so hold on to your hats and glasses because this is going to be a wild ride all through Scripture as we go through history. And we're going to learn through the pages of the Bible what fasting is and how to do it and why it is worthwhile. So if you can, stand with me if you're able. We're going to say a word of prayer. Talk to God before we launch off into this journey. So if you would, please pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that when we have any questions about you, about anything spiritual, about life, we can go to this book. God, it has withstood the test of time, and you are still with us each and every day to help guide us into its truth. Thank you. 
Lord, make us grateful people and help us to understand this mysterious thing called fasting. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Thank you. We're going to start off at the very beginning, a very good place to start. And by very beginning, I mean actually the second book of the Bible. It's going to be Exodus. And if you need a Bible, go ahead. The ushers are coming forward. Just raise up your hand and say, hey, I'd like to borrow a Bible. And and they'll spot you out. They'll loan you one. You can just leave it on your seat as you take off today, and we'll get it all taken care of. Everyone get a Bible. We're going to be heading to Exodus chapter 34. So Exodus 34, just some context, this is where God is uh, um, communicating with Moses. And so we're going to see in verse 27, The Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words, I've made a covenant, a promise, with you and with Israel. Verse 28, So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Sound familiar? So when the Ten Commandments show up, Moses is the guy that's chosen to chisel them out. And God's like, hey, this is so important. I want you here. I don't want you going back down the mountain and stuff. So no lunch breaks. I'm going to supernaturally sustain you so that you don't have to eat for 40 days. Whoa. So that's all we get. We don't really know much more about this instance and how it worked. But this is the first instance of fasting that we see in Scripture. But it doesn't tell us much, so we're going to go to the next one. Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23 is all of the other laws. There's the Ten Commandments, and then God saw his people and was like, Hey, I redeemed you out of Egypt. You were slaves, but now you're going to be like this whole nation. So you're going to need some laws, some rules. You're going to need a constitution. So he wrote all the Old Testament law through Moses, and then here's one chapter example of it. Leviticus 23, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. These are my appointed feasts. Anyone enjoy a good feast? Oh, I know I do. <laughs> and that's kind of what Thanksgiving is. It's, it's eating a ton of food and celebrating. That's kind of a feast. And so God is saying, hey, there's going to be times in the Jewish calendar that I want to be laws where there are holidays. And you're going to feast and celebrate to remember different things that God has done for you. But as we move through this chapter, we notice that like Sesame Street always said, one of these things is not like the other. Verse 26, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now on the 10th day, the seventh month is the day of atonement. We now call this Yom Kippur. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Wait a minute. This doesn't sound as fun as the feasts do. (laughs) I think I'd rather have one of those festivals. So what is this all about? Well, imagine so they, the afflict is actually a Hebrew word from anah, and it actually means it can be translated deny yourselves or go without, afflict, humble yourselves. And so what that means is that the Jewish people interpreting this law would have heard, oh, he's talking about fasting. One, we're supposed to afflict ourselves by not eating, and then on the flip side, we present food offerings to God. Why would God have this law not be a feast? but actually be a fast. Well, imagine a a young Jewish kid a few years later after these laws were written coming up to his parents or her parents and they're like, 
Dad, we haven't eaten all day. When are we going to eat? <laughs> you know how kids get, are sometimes, right? Like they're starving and you parents know. So imagine this, the Jewish dad leads down and he's like, hey, hey, buddy, well, when, when you're hungry, why is that? Is your stomach hurting? Yeah. Well, is that because what does your stomach need? It needs food, right? Yeah, well, just like our stomachs were designed to have food in them, so we need to have God in our lives too. Our stomach needs food, and you're feeling that right now. Same way as we need God's forgiveness, and that's what this day is all about. And so that's why they did that festival. That's why, because their sins needed to be forgiven. And so fasting here actually helped them stay focused on what the point of the whole holiday was. It helped them focus on the meaning of what they were doing. So that's our next example. We learn a bunch of things from there. Our next passage is going to be in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 7. We saw that there were holidays for fasting, but now we're going to see that there's actually fasting responses in Scripture just to like emergencies or events that come up. And so they're outside the holidays. And so chapter 7, verse Samuel 7, and it's going to be verse 5. A little bit of context here. Israel has become a nation. They did get their constitution. They're in the promised land now. And, but things aren't going so great. They, God, they have these battles with the Philistine nation next door. They took the Ark of the Covenant, like the holiest object ever in their nation. And they sent it off like this weird good luck charm into battle. And it got stolen super bad, and then Israel was also worshiping idols, super bad, not so good. And so what God tells Samuel to do is this. Samuel says, gather all Israel at Mizpah. I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And so you see what's happening here is that we learn about fasting. That fasting can be done by whole communities at the same time. And we also see that fasting can be done as an act of repentance. Repentance means simply seeing where you're at and that you want to be different and, and walk away from your sins. So you turn 180 and you walk in the new direction. You walk in a way that says, I'm leaning in God so I can turn over a new leaf. That's repentance. And fasting helped them focus to be repentant. Our next example is in the same book. It's, it's at the very end of 1 Samuel, chapter 31. 1 Samuel, chapter 31, it's going to be verse 11. And this story starts off kind of hairy too. It's another emergency. So uh, King Saul has just been killed. The king of Israel has been wiped out in battle. And not only that, but the, his enemies, the Philistines, they cut off his head and they displayed his body as some gruesome trophy of their victory. Man, sounds like just like some brutal wartime movie, right? And so what does that have to do with fasting? Well, verse 11, chapter 31, verse 11, but when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose. They went all night and they took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they went to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh. And fasted seven days. Interesting. When I first read this, I thought, huh? 
like this is like a wartime story and like brutal stuff is happening and there it's not like a f- religious festival but then i had to think man their king just got murdered they're bummed out they're sad and so fasting can be a way to grieve we see that fasting can be done by groups small groups like these men of jabesh gilead and yet it can be also done to grieve fasting helps us focus on our grief. It helps us process through it rather than ignoring it or neglecting it. Fasting helps us focus. One last thing we'll see about fasting in 2 Samuel. I'm going to go to 2 Samuel and I'm going to be in chapter 12. Chapter 12. This is a story about King David, the next king. Uh, things haven't gone so well for him either. He was staying at home. He noticed, uh, well, let's just cut the long story short. He slept with his best friend's wife, and then he murdered his best friend to cover it up. Real shady stuff. So, so the prophet, so he, he thinks he's covered it up, and then the prophet Nathan shows up and says, oh, God sees everything, and he outs David in front of the whole palace. And so, we turn from that scene into 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to, to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. So we see David has been humbled. He got called out, he got found out, and now he's out of options. You see, he abused his power as king to sleep with his friend's wife and kill his friend, but then now he's powerless because his illegitimate son is ill. There's nothing he can do. And so he breaks down in humility and fasts to repent to God. And you see also, So we see that individuals can fast. You can fast individually. And we also learn that you can fast to petition God, to ask him for help, to ask him uh, for assistance in that situation. And that's what David did. So we've got a couple different examples of fasting, different groups fasting, different times for different purposes. We can look at different examples of how to fast differently too. So David here, it says in verse 17, he did not eat any food with them. He still could have had water, right, to keep himself going as he's fasting. Let's look at another example. This time we're going to get to no less than Queen Esther in the book of Esther. Queen Esther is uh, the queen and uh, in this foreign land, and she's in chapter 4. We find out that there's this politician that's got some genocidal attentions on the Jews, and he wants to wipe them out. And so what's Esther's response to this threat to all of her brothers and sisters? Esther 4, verse 16, she says to her adoptive father, Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So we see that Esther's response was also to fast but that she fasted, she was saying, hey, no food or water for three days, total fast. So there's an example of this. Speaking of politicians, we've got one more example here, and it's Daniel. 
the politician Daniel in the kingdom of Babylon and Persia. And so we're going to be in Daniel chapter 10, verse 2. Daniel's been hearing news back from the Jerusalem rebuilding efforts. Jerusalem had been sacked and destroyed by the Babylonians, but now it's being rebuilt. But man, things aren't going very good over there. It's actually going really bad. And so he gets this news, and it says in verse 2, chapter 10, verse 2 of Daniel, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning, mourning for his friends over in Jerusalem. And for three weeks I ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So we see that fasting can be partial, too. Fasting is not always eating nothing. It can just be, well, I'm not going to choose to eat these certain things. It sounds like Daniel just took a break from the fancy stuff and just ate the basics. But that was still fancy, uh, still fasting. And for Daniel, being like an 80-year-old uh, politician at this point, that was probably a safer option for him too <laughs> because you know he could not eat for long periods of time. And so we see an example from Daniel there too. And you know, honestly, his partial fast is a good example for a lot of us too. Some of us have pre-existing medical conditions where like we can't just not eat for a whole day or a whole weekend. And that's okay. We can partially fast from certain things or certain foods or, or even other stuff. We'll find out. But Daniel did this to help him focus and to mourn for his friends. He chose to have less because sometimes it can help us grow more. One more thing we'll see. We're going to move on into the New Testament. Our progression through history takes us all the way to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 36, there's this prophetess named Anna. And it says in the next verse, verse 37, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So we learn something new even from this. That fasting can be an act of worship. And so it can glorify God in that way too. So cool. So we, we got to get all the way to the final example, the best example of fasting. And I'll give you one guess on who it is. Yeah, perfect. It's Jesus. <laughs> Have you ever asked yourself, what would Jesus do? Well, he fasted. <laughs> he did. Let's go check it out. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're still in the New Testament, jumping back to that first book of the New Testament, first gospel, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1, and it's where God the Father has just commissioned God the Son, and God the Spirit is moving him out into the wilderness to be tested. So verse 1 of chapter 4, then Jesus went and he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights... He was hungry. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> Can you imagine not eating for 40 days? Oh my gosh, that would be so hard. So then Satan's coming in to kick him while he's down. Verse 3, And then the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, some of us have heard this story before. We're standing, you know, centuries past it. And so we think, oh, Satan's the bad guy. Of course, don't do that, Jesus. I mean, don't make food out of these rocks because Satan's asking you to do it. Of course, don't, don't listen to him. But think, honestly, think about not eating for 40 days and how appetizing 
making food would be at that point. This was a real temptation. For real. What does Jesus do? How does he respond? Verse 4. He says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Interesting. Do you see what Jesus said right away? It is written. What does that mean? It means that he's talking about scripture that was already written. How did he know that scripture that was already written? It's because Jesus was practicing the spiritual discipline of memorizing scripture. Like we talked about a few weeks. He had memorized Deuteronomy 8, 3. And so because he already knew that up in his head, when Satan comes and says, hey, I'm about to get you right when you're vulnerable, right when you're exhausted and you haven't eaten for all this time, boom, here's a temptation, jump on it. And Jesus says, oh, I know in my head that I shouldn't do that. And it's because of this reason. And so we got to jump to that passage. It's so cool. It has so many applications for where Jesus is at. So it's Deuteronomy 8. Verse 2 and 3. You can jot it down if you want. I'm going to read it through it. Just these two verses. Listen for similarities between Israel's experience and Jesus' experience. God says to Israel in verse 2, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what Jesus was quoting right there. So look at that. God led Israel through the wilderness towards the promised land for 40 years, to test them to see if they'd stay loyal to God and and obey him. And they failed. But then here comes Jesus saying, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah, I'm here to make it right. And he goes through the wilderness for 40 days, and he does withstand the test. He does succeed. He had memorized that scripture, and so he says, you know what, Satan? I am so tempted by that. I am so hungry for that food right now. But man, how could I possibly break everything to get some food when I've got God right here? How could I look at God and say, nope, I'm going to disobey you, my father, and the creator of the universe just so I can eat some food? He's saying, Satan, that's tempting, but I know that God sustains me first, not the food in my belly. And that's what he's saying by this verse here. Man does not live by bread alone. So, do you guys remember uh, going through all those pictures of Thanksgiving meals up on the screen? We're like, what did we do that for if we were going to talk about fasting? <laughs> right? Like That seems kind of like a bait and switch. Um, well, there's also a picture of delicious, delicious barbecue on your sermon outline. And so, I, man, I just love food so much, I couldn't help myself. But the reason why we've got all this food is because food is still a good thing. When, when we fast, we're not saying food is bad, we're just saying that God is better. When we fast from, we're saying, man, food is so good. We can thank God for food. We can go, go to a Thanksgiving meal and say, Lord, this food is so good. I love it. Thanks for providing for us. But we need to make sure that food is not our master, that God is, that God takes priority. So if that's what Jesus said. He said, 
Man shall not live by bread alone. Do we value our relationship with God more than we do food? Do we really live that way? Fasting helps us focus. And sometimes choosing to have less can help us grow more. Well, we've walked through a bunch of different examples here in the Bible, but it'd be, uh, we definitely need to see where Jesus actually talks about fasting. We've got all this cool stuff from example. Let's see what he says about it. So we're going to flip just two chapters over. Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be, now we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, in the middle of chapter 6. This is a sermon that Jesus gave to all his disciples, saying like, hey, do you guys want to know what it's like, the kingdom of heaven and everything? Do you want to know what it's like to follow me? Do you want to know what it's like to like follow after God? Well, here. And so he gives us all these examples of how we should live in the kingdom of God. And Matthew 6, verse 16 Let's check that out. Jesus begins in verse 16, and when you fast, let's just stop right there. (laughs) And when you fast, notice how he said when. On one hand, Jesus isn't saying you must fast. This isn't like a straightforward black and white command from God. So fasting is not required of every Christian. Yet on the other hand, Jesus never says, you know, if you fast, If you feel like it, you know, here's some tips. He says, when you fast. So there's almost like this implicit recommendation that Christians should be fasting. There's almost like this invitation to say, hey, give this a try. And when you do, I've got a bunch of things that will help you do it and give you an idea of how it should look. Jesus says, when you fast. Now, I imagine hearing this and hearing like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You might be thinking, hey, I mean, fasting's good for all those, like, dusty Old Testament characters. That's cool. But you're saying I need to, like, give up meals, food? Do you realize how inconvenient that would be? Do you realize how uncomfortable that would be? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's the point. That's the point of fasting. The point of fasting is that when you fast in the first place, the sacrifice it requires of you makes you rely on God more. The pain of having to go without food or whatever you're fasting from, um, that's what helps you draw near to God because then you're like, man, God, I need help. I haven't eaten, you know, for this long. I'm going to need your help with this one. I don't know if I can make it. Then you get drawn closer to God. Now, no one's asking you to do a 40-day fast like Jesus did right away. I definitely wouldn't recommend starting there. (laughs) Please don't. But, Just baby steps first. Try fasting from just like a lunch one day. Or maybe, you know, after you do that a couple times, fast just for one day. Maybe eventually you'll get to one weekend. But take it in baby steps. You have to walk before you run. What else does Jesus say here? We've only got four verses, four uh, words into this verse, so we need to keep going. <laughs> verse 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, by God. And your Father who sees in secret, he'll reward you. So Jesus is saying, hey, this whole fasting thing, don't do it as a show. 
This isn't a religious show to get attention from people. Jesus says, yeah, those, those hypocrites out on the street corner saying like, oh, I'm fasting. It hurts so much. I'm miserable. He's like, miserable? When you're fasting, you should be, have a little bit of joy in you because you're drawing closer to God because you're trying this thing out. And it's not about you and what people see you doing. It's about you connecting with God. And so Jesus says, yeah, those hypocrites, they'll get their reward. People will notice them. It's true. But that's not what it's all about. It's about connecting with God. And that's why he says you can do it in secret. So not bragging, nothing like that. He says fasting should be God-initiated, God-focused, and God-glorifying. God-initiated, God-focused, and God-glorifying. It's all about him. And so because it's all about him, fasting, just as another side note, it's not about weight loss. <laughs> if you need to lose weight, God bless you, do a diet, and I hope it goes great for you. But uh, fasting is a spiritually focused thing to grow closer with God. It's not a detox. It's also not a way to, to say, to twist God's arm into doing what we want. Well, God, I fasted all day, so you'd better do these things I want you to do because I got this on you now. God's not, he, we can't twist his arm to do stuff. God says, hey, I want you to know me. This is about a relationship, not you plugging in your good deed quarters into the heavenly vending machine. It's about relationship. Fasting helps us focus on God. Choosing to have less can help us grow more with God. So uh, one more thing that we see in Mark chapter 2. Uh, I'm not going to get into it just for time's sake, but you can check it out later. Uh, Jesus' uh, disciples aren't fasting, and Jesus is like, hey, my disciples aren't fasting because I'm right here. Uh, they're like with God the Son, so they don't need to fast right now. So the, what we learn from there is that fasting is only necessary um, to connect with God. If we're all, things are already going great, or I'm like, man, me and God are doing great, maybe I don't need to fast because I'm already connected well with God. So it doesn't have to be all the time. We're fasting every day, all week, every month, but it's uh, in seasons. It's at certain times. So let that be a, a little thing you can write, jot down. One more thing I want to talk about is that Jesus eventually would die, resurrect, and take off, and then he'd leave all his disciples to carry on the church. And one of those disciples was the Apostle Paul. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for some more fasting insights. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 5. Go ahead and flip there and see if you recognize this um, See if you can recognize this passage, I, <laughs> or if you've ever heard it before. In verse 5, he says, Do not deprive yourself. And what is he talking about here? Well, this whole chapter is about marriage and sexuality. Do I have your attention yet? Check this out. He says, verse 5, Do not deprive each other of sex, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul is saying, don't put off sex too long. Can I get an amen, married couples? Amen. Um, he's saying, don't put it off too long because then your marriage is going to start to suffer <laughs> for real. But you can fast from sex if it helps you focus back in on God and helps your prayer life grow stronger for a time. So it's interesting. Fasting is not just 
from food. It can be from other things too. Fascinating. Why does Paul say this? Well, in the first, in the chapter just before chapter 7, it's chapter 6, in verse 12, Paul's writing about all these things too, and he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. I will not be dominated by anything. And what Paul means by that is he's saying, man, we've been saved by God. Jesus died on the cross to forgive all our sins. There's no rules we have to follow to earn God's favor, to achieve our salvation. God pays for all of it. We have freedom. We have so much freedom to choose. I want to do this. I don't want to do that. We have all this freedom, but I don't want my passions to control me. I don't want my appetites to dictate what I do. And so Paul then takes that idea back into marriage in chapter 7, verse 5. And he says, hey, don't let your appetites control you. Don't let your sexual appetite, your stomach, your hunger for social interaction, or our dreams for success, or our craving for comfort, don't let those control you because they will try. They'll scream inside you and say, feed me, feed me. I want to be comfortable again. I want to have success. I want this food. I want this thing. And it's almost like a spoiled child screaming out. You don't want to appease them right away. You want to discipline and train them to be able to go without sometimes. And so that's what we do. We don't let our stomachs be our masters. We be the master of our stomach, and we say, or whatever appetite, and we say, hey, you know what? I need to connect with God for a little bit about this. I'm dealing with this. It's been hard. I'm going to fast so I can focus on praying with God. And you know what? You can wait a little bit, and I'll tell you when I'm done. (laughs) We take control, and we fast to focus on God. Giving up and having less can help us grow more. And that's why our sermon is called (laughs) Leaning In by Giving Up. It doesn't mean giving up like throwing in the towel, like, "Ah, I'm done with this Jesus thing. I can't do it anymore. It means giving up like giving up stuff, giving up things you love, giving up things for a period of time so that it will help you focus on praying with God and talking with him. Cool stuff. So if fasting can be from more than just food, what are some other things we can fast from? Well, check out the screen. This is also going to be on the study guide out in the lobby. So go ahead and grab that afterwards, and all that is listed there. There's so many things we could fast from. Food, of course, drinks. You could say, oh, man, I'm going to go without coffee for a whole week and see what it does to me. (laughs) I'm going to go without soda or without alcohol or without desserts uh, for a whole month and see what God does in my heart as I miss them. I'm going to see my habits, my the way I shop, media. I'm not going to watch TV for a whole month. And man, I'm going to get home and be like, what do I do with myself? And then God's going to be there and say like, hmm, what is going on in your heart as you're fasting from this? I could fast from music, from from the news, from video games, screen time in general. Uh, I thought this was interesting. I could even fast from like conveniences like cars or air conditioning or elevators or <laughs> things like that. Anything that can be a distraction from connecting with God could be something you could fast from. The the possibilities are endless. And so I would just encourage you, if you've got your notes right there, jot down an idea. Take that list and jot down an idea of like, hmm, you know what? If I fasted, this might be something I could go without for a week, a day, a month, and see what God does in my heart. So go ahead and let that be a list that can jog your, your mind to think of some 
ideas. One last thing that I want to talk about is uh, in Acts chapter 13. We've got one last verse to look at. Jesus said how he would commission his disciples to go around the world and make the church and spread the church all over the world. And here we see that it's happening. Acts 13, verse 2. This is the church in Antioch. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So we see again that the church can fast together. We also see that they're fasting in worship. Fasting is a way of worshiping God again. And then we also see that they're getting guidance from God. They're fasting, and in the midst of that, Holy Spirit comes in and says, Hey, commission Saul and Barnabas for the first ever recorded missions trip. And then they say, Oh, man, wow, that's amazing. Let's fast about that and pray about how to do that. And then they do, and then they obey and send them off. So this is a pattern that can just continue throughout all of our churches, all of our Christian lives. And I just wonder, are there any big decisions you're faced with today? Anything you're trying to figure out what to do? I'd encourage you, try the fasting thing. Try it out. And that brings us to our next question is when. We talked about what we could fast from. We talked about some hows. But now we need to figure out when. When are we going to try this? And that's the whole point of this series. Try these things. Give them a shot. Uh, when are we going to do this? So we saw that fasting occurred because of responses to events in life. So if there's something you're excited about, there's something you're mourning over and grieving for, um, if there's something big that you need help with, that can be a reason to fast. There's also holidays that we looked at in the Old Testament, right? Where every annually on these certain days, they'd be like, we're all going to fast to remind us about God and help us focus on him. So the timing of this sermon is pretty great. One, that we did it after Thanksgiving, um, <laughs> because that'd be pretty strange to do it before and then have to be like, hey, let's all try fasting. Oh, wait, it's Thanksgiving. Um, so after, but it's also interesting, the timing, because it's right before the season of Advent starts. And you might be like, add who? Well, Advent is the Christmas season time in the church calendar where we remember, we, it's kind of the whole month of December, and we remember during Advent, specifically we focus on how Jesus came first to be incarnated as a little baby and came to die for us, but then also we look forward to and anticipate how Jesus is coming back the second time as the king of the world. And so that season traditionally has been a time of fasting, all throughout church history. And so I'd encourage you, maybe there's something you could fast from for Advent, for like the month of December, from next Sunday is when it begins, December 2nd, all the way through till Christmas. Now, I wouldn't recommend doing like a total fast from all food and water that whole time. Definitely not medically recommended. But pick something else. Pick something else. And I, uh, the reason why I would think that Advent would be a good time to fast is because, man, Christmas is coming. Like Terry was saying with shopping and stuff, there's not very many of us who are done shopping yet, right? Is anyone stressed yet about Christmas? Like, man, there is so much to do. There is so much to attend. There is so much to buy, so much to finish before the 25th hits. How in the joy to the world are we going to possibly remember God in the midst of this December, right? How is that even possible with all the things we have to do? We well, you know what I'm going to say, right? 
Fast from something. Fast. Try it out. That can be a way to help you focus on God and not forget him in the season that's all about him. Especially now in a season of excess, choosing to have less can help us grow more. Well, I do want to share as I've been walking through this sermon, I've been convinced that I think I'm going to end up fasting too for Advent. I'm going to fast from Facebook. And uh, the reason why is because, I one, I want a little less noise in my life. Two, I want to be a little less jealous of all the people I see on it. And three, <laughs> um, three, I also want, I've just noticed in my heart, there's always a, a lot of a fear of missing out and stuff. And I want to, I want to talk to God about that. So um, that's why I'm going to do it. And I don't share that to be like, oh, I'm awesome and I'm so great. I almost hesitated to share it, but I share it just to let you know that God's working on me too. God's doing stuff in my heart, and I just felt like, oh, man, I should really do this. Uh, the other reason why I share it is because if I share it publicly like this, then I'm actually accountable to do it. So I have to actually go through with it. So thank you for helping me in that way. Um, I would ask as we go in, as we close this up, what about you? What about you? What might God be calling you to fast from? And when? How can you look at the appetites that are in your life and say, no. They will not control me. They will not distract me. I will control them, and I will fast to focus back on God. See, choosing to have less can help you grow more. Join with me in a word of prayer, if you would. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the things you've provided for us. It's a wonder that we have to even think of fasting because you've provided so many things in our lives. God, thank you um, for this time, and thank you for this reminder that fasting is not this uh, wacko, weird spiritual thing for monks off in a monastery. Uh, It's something any one of us can do. And so, God, we pray. We pray for understanding, and we just pray for courage. (laughs) We pray for courage to to have the guts to try it. Um, Lord, guide us as we do. Keep us uh, safe, keep us healthy, and keep us focused on you. You are the best thing in our lives. And so, God, we pray that uh, you would help us focus on you in this busy season coming up. Amen.